0: The Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria.
1: Hello, welcome to the Country Hour. You'll hear from one of the leaders in the rice industry on today's program. Also some some heartfelt reactions to the loss of another farmer on their property this week, which we touched on yesterday. More details today from authorities and those involved But really, to begin today's program, you're going to be hearing a warning, a warning that has been delivered about tomorrow's weather conditions and what that could mean to so much of rural Victoria. It's a warning that uh, you're being asked to heed.
2: We are expecting quite severe uh, weather conditions tomorrow which will lead to quite dangerous fire conditions uh, for communities. I do expect those fire conditions to come later on in the day, uh, so there is still time for communities to make sure that you prepare and get ready for tomorrow's weather events. As you heard the Commissioner say, uh, particularly for those people in the Wimmera, the catastrophic area, uh, fires will become very uncontrollable very quickly uh, and no homes are designed to withstand those catastrophic conditions. So if your plan is to leave early, you are requested to do so uh, this evening or by uh, tomorrow morning. I would not leave it any later than lunchtime because uh, those weather conditions will become quite nasty from 12 o'clock onwards.
1: Yes, fire authorities have been warning large areas of Victoria today. Just... Uh, a short time ago, really, about a bad fire weather day expected tomorrow. It's led to emergency authorities publishing a warning map surrounding the Raglan-Bowfant fires, asking people to leave by tomorrow morning, as you just heard there, because they could be under threat of fire. Over 30,000 text warning messages will be sent to people around that area, asking them to leave. As you just heard as well, tomorrow, a day of total fire ban in the Mallee, Wimmera, southwest, northern country, north, central and central areas of Victoria. That central area includes the Melbourne and Geelong districts as well if you're travelling that way. It's another bad fire warning day following on from the bad fire weather day that started. With the, a lot of the fires that continue to burn in the state right now. So with a full update on the weather situation and what this means. Emergency Management Commissioner Rick Nugent was speaking to the media a short time ago. I thought this is important for you to hear. So here is all of Rick Nugent's words on what warnings are there, where the areas of concern are, what resources are being thrown at these parts of the state and what you can do.
3: It has been declared a catastrophic catastrophic fire danger day tomorrow for the Wimmera and that is the areas Warwick-Nabeel, Horsham, stall and Surrounds. It is an extreme fire danger day for the Mallee, Northern Country, North, Central, South, West and Central. So essentially half of our state is in a high fire danger rating tomorrow. Fire, if it gets going, will spread quickly and can be extremely dangerous. It's the worst possible fire conditions we can have across this part of the state. But following the heat, there will also be a change with some significant winds that can occur as well. So there will be the risk of trees falling and branches uh, causing damage as well, and people need to be mindful of their surroundings as well. The Rocky Road fire to the north and around Beauford has been a focus for a number of days now, and as has been said earlier, it has burnt around 21,300 hectares the fire is active and ongoing. Firefighters have worked extremely hard, incredibly hard, to contain this fire over the past number of days. These conditions, though, make it also challenging with the the spike day, the hot day, the windy day that we have on Wednesday. So this fire has the potential to run again, to head south initially with the northerlies, but then also swing around. These dangerous conditions have had our people here at the State Control Centre do some modelling on where that fire could potentially go, and as a result, they've developed a map that has actually got the potential impact areas from that fire. We will be sharing that through social media and other avenues to the community so they are well aware of the areas that that could impact. There's been a line around that area on the map to enable people to understand whether or not you live in that area. The potential in- impact area includes Beauford, Elmhurst, Amphitheatre, Lexton, Learmonth and Cloons. Fire and spot fires and ember attack are p- quite possible in these areas. These could result in loss of homes, closure of roads and isolating communities. If you are located within this area of the map, we ask you to leave, to leave tonight or early tomorrow morning. The the map can be viewed on the Vic Emergency website and also it will be shared through media channels and Facebook. Additionally, there will be an emergency alert that will go out to mobile phones in this area to advise them that they are in this potential impact area. Likewise with those areas rated... As extreme or catastrophic, if you live in a bushfire risk area, we are asking you to leave and to leave early. Leave tonight or leave tomorrow morning. Bushfire risk areas are those close to or near the bush, rural grass or paddocks and where towns meet, the bushland. You can go to regional cities or you can go to Melbourne, stay with family and friends, but please, if you're in a bushfire risk area, please leave and leave early. Planning and preparation over the last few days ahead of what we believe to be these conditions has been well undertaken here at the State Control Centre, at regional control centres and also at incident control centres across these areas of Victoria. We have done all we possibly can to prepare for this high-risk weather period on Wednesday. We now ask the community, please, you prepare. Activate your fire plans... Make those arrangements, chat with your family and friends, do everything possible to ensure that you protect your home but also you are not in an area of risk when these conditions come through and if a fire should occur. A special thanks to New South Wales, who provided around 105 firefighters and other support to Victoria and who are arriving today. That consists of five strike teams, 25 fire trucks and they will be positioned strategically at Ballarat and Balan. We also have an incident management team that is coming down from New South Wales that will actually be placed in Halls Gap. So a special thank you to New South Wales and the volunteers from that state who are coming to assist us here in Victoria. In terms of our aviation fleet, we have 66 aircraft available for tomorrow. And New South Wales have again assisted us with support as well, with a large air tanker, which we placed at Avalon, and a Black Hawk helicopter placed at Essendon. New South Wales have also assisted with placing aircraft strategically along the north of our border in their state. So that's from Hay to Wagga Wagga to Albury. Additionally, we have a national large air tanker that will be placed at Adelaide that will be able to support Victoria if necessary, but also South Australia, who similarly have some um, uh, extreme fire conditions in their state. Again, emergency services are doing all we possibly can to be ready for Wednesday, and we ask communities to do the same thing. Leave early. Don't be in a high-risk area on Wednesday. Be aware of conditions. Don't rely on one source of information. Use your local broadcasters as well as the Vic Emergency app to stay informed of your area.
1: That is Rick Nugent, their Emergency Management Commissioner, speaking just a short time ago at the press conference about tomorrow's total fire ban, which again has been declared for the Mallee, Wimmera, Southwest, Northern Country, North Central and Central areas of the state, meaning no fires can be lit or allowed to remain alight in the open air from midnight to midnight. From from midnight tonight until midnight uh, the next, make sure you heed those warnings. And also went on after that under questioning to stress that the map that has been published that he spent a lot of time talking about there that has been published as a warning to people around that big fire that is burning in the the Beaufort Raglan area uh, up towards amphitheatre that's burning. Currently, uh, a map has been published warning a lot of people in that area that, uh, and and advising them to effectively evacuate before midday tomorrow. Uh, that map is an early advice, uh, not an official warning. If the fire starts to run in that area, the standard warning system that you know that we use. Uh, to tell you about fires on ABC local radio will be activated as well. So you'll still get those warnings, but that map has been published to advise you that you are in a danger area. It involves areas like Amphitheatre and Lexton and Learmonth and Burrum Beach and uh, uh, cuts around under Stockyard Hill and Buanga and uh, goes up around to Lamplough and uh, Clunes as well. So a big area, 30,000 text messages going out to that area those warnings coming from the emergency authorities. You're going to hear about them all day right here on ABC local radio and in the Vic Emergency app. If you want to have a look at that map, it'll be in the app. It'll be on St- stories on ABC online. It'll be on ABC local Facebook page pages as well. You will be able to find it. Let's continue on here on the Country Hour. It is a quarter past 12. Uh, speaking of fires and the effect on agricultural land, BlazeAid volunteers are preparing to deploy after a surge in wild weather and fire events, leaving a trail of damage across Victorian farms. BlazeAid created in the 20, uh, 2009 Black Summer Bushfires are a volunteer based organisation helping farmers and families recover from fires, storms, and floods. CEO Melissa Jones says the organisation is setting up base camps across the state after the late onset of extreme weather. But she told Fiona Broom the rollout has been delayed in areas like storm hit Gippsland as they wait for council support.
4: We've had quite a few calls come in asking for assistance from properties that are, you know, sort of around the five acres all the way up to larger farms. And what I've heard is that there's the storm sort of ripped through and threw trees around like pencils everywhere. Lots of damage to fence lines and stock containment is definitely an issue.
0: Do you know yet where you would be heading to or how you might set that up?
4: Uh, look, we—I've had one conversation with council, and in that conversation, I said, "Find us a base camp, and we'll come. We'll be there with bells on and uh, get started and help these people out." Um, but heard uh, nothing else um, other than that initial conversation. So, what we really are after, and I'm—I'm I'm really keen to get moving, um, and that is just a place where we can go, usually an oval or a you know sort of sports grounds that has a kitchen and dining. Dining facility because we do feed our volunteers all their meals, um, and we also need amenities such as showers and toilets because obviously after um, being out in the field all day, our volunteers uh, need to come in and clean up and the like. So um, we try and make our volunteers as, as comfortable and as cared for as possible, and those are sort of the essentials. I know Yuna is very close to ground zero there, uh, Merby North, and we have stayed in the Yuna cricket grounds before, so that might be an option, although I do believe it's in another council area.
0: The storms that went through South Gippsland aren't the only uh, weather-related disasters that are facing the state at the moment. There's been fires and floods and, and all sorts of disasters over the past few months. How are your resources looking like at the moment? Are you, are you hunting for volunteers?
4: Absolutely. So we've got a base camp uh, that's just about to be set up in Halls Gap. The Pomonal Fire uh, and Dadswell Bridge fires over there we will be responding to and also currently in discussions um, to set up near Beauford when it's safe as well. Um, We have uh, bases in Bort at the moment and also Gornong, which is close to Bendigo, responding to floods uh, that happened earlier on. In the year. So yes, we as far as resources go with tools and equipment, we're fine with, but it's the volunteers that, that really uh, drive our base camps and, and get the work done quickly as possible so that landowners can get back on track and, and um, start their farming again.
0: Coming into late February, early March, is this the time of year that you would normally be this busy or is this unusual?
4: Um, over the last couple of years, it's it sort of started to peter out by uh, March, but it's a very unusual year. We, we really were expecting to have fires um, early on and no flooding, uh, and <laughs> here we go in January with ma- major floods around Victoria and and the like, and then uh, smashed again with fires. So I think that the season is sort of. Just beginning now um, as far as fires go and I'm expecting more to come in the next month or so. So we're very, very busy um, but we can handle it. We're right to go and uh, we just need the volunteers to come and support. You don't need to know about fencing to help. Um, you can learn on the job. If you can't come out and volunteer, then perhaps you can support Blaze Aid by donating funds to keep our camps going.
1: That is Melissa Jones, Chief Executive at the Disaster Recovery Organisation, BlazeAid, speaking there with Fiona Broome. The South Gippsland Shire Council says it welcomes BlazeAid's offer of support and are investigating base camp location options. They say they are working with Agriculture Victoria to understand the scale and impact of the on farms as part of Merby North and surrounding communities are still in response phase. Others are moving towards recovery whilst waiting for assessments of properties to start rebuilding. South Gippslandshire Shire says the community response has been incredible, but more support from all levels of government is needed. And just on the VIES, that's in quote from that. On the fires, Agriculture Victoria has sent through some details, which might be ha- handy to have, especially with the bad fire day forecast for tomorrow. Just a reminder, if you're a livestock producer who has been impacted, you have urgent animal welfare needs, you should go to the Vic Emergency Hotline, which is one eight hundred 226 226. Uh, support information on recovering from fires or storms you can get at the agriculture victoria website which is agriculture.vic.gov.au and the rural financial counseling service which provides a free and confidential financial counseling service to farmers and small related enterprises who are experiencing or are at risk of financial hardship as a response of uh, a result of the fires thirteen hundred double seven one seven four one. 771 741 that's thirteen hundred double seven 771 Seven four one. And if you miss any of those things and you want me to send you the number, you can always just send me a text on the country hour. We read it on the, that number on the country hour every day to say, well's missed the number for this. Can you let me know? Our text line 0467 842, 0467 842 722. Text us anytime. It could be days afterwards. Say we need that number. I will make sure I get that to you. Uh, it is 21 past 12 here on the country. Our Warwick Long with you will step away from the fires right now and uh, we'll talk about another tragedy facing a community in western Victoria right now. The Warwick Nabil community is mourning after the tragic death of much loved local farmer Mick Morecambe on Friday. It was He was killed in what his mates are describing as a freak accident when an auger tipped over and struck him on the head. Farmer Ross Johns Uh, who was a dear friend of Mick Morkham, was speaking a a tribute to him at the VFF Grains Conference uh, earlier this week. And here are some of those words. After that, we'll hear from
5: WorkSafe. Terrible, just terrible tragedy. Mick is an amazing guy, a great Australian. He was excellent at sports, good footballer. uh, was captain of the Warwick group of the CFA He had a total intolerance for government, bureaucracy, and dickheads. (laughs) Um, a great community man, always involved in different things, and really passionate about agriculture. And probably one of Mick's greatest achievements of all time was he managed one of the better farming operations in the northern Wimmera and split it three ways between three brothers. Uh, all of which are passionate about agriculture. I thought I'd talk a little bit about Mick and the VFF. Mick was scheduled to come here today. He paid his fees. He's been a long-term member of the VFF and wholeheartedly supports working together to try and bring about mutual benefit for all people. Um, He's been to lots of grain conferences. He came to lots of ABB, AGMs, A very supportive guy. He'll be very sadly missed. Now Mick's one not to dwell on the past. It's a tragedy beyond belief, catastrophe beyond belief, Um, but he would look to the future and plan for a better place. So uh, occupational health and safety in agriculture, very important, extremely important. Now Mick was not a, a brash, he wasn't rushing, He was an intelligent guy, um, and he still got caught in an unbelievable accident while they were cleaning seed. He died absolutely instantaneously. There would have been no thought, oh shit, he just, dead. And I still can't believe how it happened. He's done what he did probably a thousand times, um, and, uh, I went out to see Carol on Friday evening around about seven thirty, so and that was terrible. I didn't know what to say to Carol, couldn't say a single thing. And I went down to where it actually happened. And there was a it's just beyond belief. I never want to see anything like that ever again. And Total freak accident whilst cleaning seed. So please take care. Agriculture, 3% of Australia's workforce works in agriculture. 20% of the workplace deaths. And my good mate Mick is just another one.
1: It's Ross Johns speaking from the heart at the Victorian Farmers Federation Grains Conference in Horsham about Mick Morecambe who died on Friday. Uh, in a freak farming accident for more details on that and just some of the statistics that Ross Johns was talking about, about how dangerous agriculture is. Angus Verley spoke with Narelle Beer, Executive Director of Health and Safety at WorkSafe Victoria, about the tragedy and the wider issue of on-farm deaths.
6: Well, tragically, a 61-year-old farmer has died while loading grain from a silo into a truck um, at a farm near Kelalak, which is near Warwick nabil um, And while we're still investigating and it's still really early stages, we do understand that he was operating a large mobile auger and it's tipped over and struck him on the head. Um, And that's the second workplace fatality in agriculture in just this month. And it follows the really tragic death of a 50-year-old Mirbu North dairy farmer who was struck and killed by a shed roof um, in the storms on the 13th in that horrendous uh, weather storm. So it's just been a really tough time for farmers.
7: And Norella, I know you said you're still investigating, but but we did hear from a, a fellow farmer and friend of of the farmer who died near Warwickneville and he said that it was uh, essentially a a tragic and and totally un, unforeseeable accident
6: I think it's really hard for farmers because farmers um, usually are working one up by themselves um, they're usually really isolated and there's usually nobody there to talk something to a problem or to to get help from um, to make sure that something does go wrong and that's why I think um, agriculture is one of our most dangerous uh, employment um, out there. So we we're just experiencing of late a significant increase in claims and in injuries on the farm, um, and they're all men, and most of them are all older men.
7: With these fatalities, Narelle, what, what does it say about just just the nature of, of what of the work that farmers are required to do on farms and those uh, those dangers around them?
6: Look, my dad was a farmer and I grew up on the farm, um, a a dairy farmer, and my dad knew his land like the back of his hand, and I remember he tipped a tractor into a dam one day, and I, I think they have so much on their mind. I think working on the land is so much harder than what it was, and if you're not dealing with drought, you're dealing with storm, and if it's not storm, you're dealing with fire, you're dealing with the fluctuation on prices. It's hard work, and there's a lot of pressure on people, and... Farmers tend just to keep working. They uh, they don't take time out for themselves. Often they work really, really long hours. And, and I just, I really, my heart goes out to them because I'm so attached to the land and, and I know what my father went through. Um, we just need to actually say we're better off not to get something done. Than to halfway get something done and lose someone that we love or have somebody seriously injured so that they can't work. And And whilst I've talked about two fatalities that work safer investigating um, on farms, there's been another uh, two fatalities that have been um, reported that have, you know, that are farm related where a, a tractor's rolled over and, and killed a gentleman or where another man's been struck by a, a stallion.
7: And uh, that, that tractor rollover fatality—that I that just want, want to note that that was near uh, Warwick Nabil as well. So only a couple of weeks ago, so a really tough time for the Warwick Nabil community. But Narelle, uh, as you've touched on there, farmers are really, really overrepresented in, in workplace fatalities, aren't they? They
6: absolutely are, and um, I, I want them to know that that there's there's. You can come onto our website and have a look at some of our, you know, our OHS essentials just to get some ideas about how they can put some safety into their discussions with people and, and talk about it. And, you know, not just the the traumatic injuries, but also the mental health injuries that go with working alone, working in such harsh environments. Um, Three weeks ago we were cleaning up after a huge storm and flooding and now we've got communities that are, are dealing with fires and they're losing their livestock. They've lost their houses. They've lost their shed. They've lost their fodder. So it's a real gambit that the farmers go through. But I want people to know there is help out there and we at WorkSafe will do anything we can. Just give us a call. Um It's just its too tragic. 16 lives lost in the past two and a bit years. 81% of those uh, were over 50 years of age. So these are the most experienced farmers that are just trying to get things done.
7: And and in the, the, the family farming setting, which all of these fatalities have been, it's you've got the, you're losing the, the, the pillar of, of your family farming business as well as a, a, a much-loved member of your family
6: absolutely in 2023 there were 545 farmers who put in a claim to for workers compensation with worksafe because they were seriously injured at work so that is like eight two people almost every day that are injured out on the land we know that working with machinery uh, we know people get crushed we know that people um, get run into and we just need to understand that if we don't you know, give the safety message the importance that it needs, then people can and do get hurt.
1: That is Narelle Beer, Executive Director of Health and Safety at WorkSafe Victoria, speaking there with Angus Verley. You're listening to The Country, our full weather report on the way. If you have questions for the Weather Bureau, particularly about tomorrow's weather, send it in 0467 842 722. Right now, it's Rural News Time with Fiona Broom. Hi, Fiona.
0: G'day, Was Making rural news today. Following the discovery of abalone viral ganglionuritis or AVG, in South Australian waters, lobster fishers are also banned from setting and collecting pots within the control area off of Port McDonnell. Southeastern Professional Fishermen's Association Executive Officer Nathan Kimber believes around 30 lobster fishers would be impacted so far by the outbreak. He says fishers in the affected area are currently working out what to do with their gear
8: our association was certainly aware you know that AVG had had uh, a presence in Victoria and that there were you know there had been outbreaks in Victoria but I must admit it, it still came as somewhat of a surprise you know when it was detected off the coast of Port Mac on Friday for sure we're relatively fortunate that our season started on the first of September, uh, and we're about ninety percent of the way through our quota for this season. Mm. But that's not to downplay the fact that there would certainly be some individual operators fishing out of, you know, Port Macdonald and Blackfellas Caves, you know, that have still got relatively significant amounts of quota left to catch.
0: Wine grape harvest is underway across Tasmania, and for some vineyards, it's the earliest start to vintage ever. Joseph Cromie Wines is a fairly large player in the industry, and it's expanding its production area beyond the Tamar Valley to include the East Coast and Coal River Valley. Viticulturalist Kelly Graham says not only is the harvest really early, it's also large. So the winery has already started our vintage. So this is the earliest vintage for us here at Cromie this year. So we started picking fruit down our East Coast vineyard on Valentine's Day. So that's the earliest ever. Uh, I think it was the very first grapes picked in Tassie of this year. So for Chromies, we started earlier than every other year. So it's warm. It's a warm year. And I don't think we're alone. I think everyone else is seeing exactly the same thing as well. So fruit's coming in early. There's lots of it. People are already sensing that their yields are bigger than what they predicted. So no different here. We're doing exactly the same. So big year. Tully in far north Queensland has flooded over the weekend after receiving more than 450 millimetres of rain in 24 hours. While this is an incredible amount of rain, it's nowhere near that town's record. 606 millimetres remains the February record from the 12th of Feb in 1927, but 1,140 millimetres or 45 inches of rain is the all-time daily rain record. Chris Condon is a farmer 30 minutes west of Tully. He also owns a business in the Tully Township and he says so far one of the wettest towns in Australia is coping just fine.
7: From what I've seen around so far this morning I think we might have dodged a bullet I guess so far um, there will be some flood debris debris in the cane around that I haven't um, seen yet but just from the edges where I've been it looks relatively okay I mean it's beautiful to see the sun again, the cane was starting to struggle we were getting a lot of wet days last week and the cane had definitely stopped growing but it's taking up again now which is good
0: in other water news, an environmentalist, former SPC director, and retired orchardist is a new member of the Basin Community Committee that works closely with the Murray-Darling Basin Authority and the government on the Basin Plan. John Pettigrew has criticised the Basin Plan's implementation as being slow and off track, but he says good work is still being done.
8: Certainly, some positive changes to be gained. We've we've already seen some of those with environmental water and some some degree of environmental flows to date so creating environmental water the process of uh, developing environmental flows connecting the river to its wetlands its floodplain to some degree is starting to take place but uh, we still have quite a quite a bit to go yet as far as the uh, fulfilling the uh, the basin plan
0: And Germany is legalising cannabis, following in the footsteps of Canada and neighbour the Netherlands, which made cannabis legal through cafes in 1976. Germany is the largest CBD market in Europe and this decision could trigger the relaxation of laws in other countries. Paul Long is CEO of the Little Green Pharma Company in WA which has a big production facility in Denmark near the German border producing dried flowers among other products used in medicinal cannabis. He says the change in law will benefit Australian companies.
8: Yeah there's a number of Australian companies now exporting to Germany so we were we were one of the first to send product in there many years ago now. But, yes, certainly there's a number of, of producers here in Australia that are selling into that market. So it should be, you know, we think it will prove to be a positive thing for for our industry here in Australia as well.
0: And that's rural news this Tuesday, was?
1: Brilliant. Thank you very much for that. Fiona Broom there with rural news for you today. On the text line, just quickly before we head to the Weather Bureau, uh, Fred saying, hey, was have they said how the Beauforts fire started? Don't think there was any lightning in the area, says Fred. I think the official line for it is still under investigation. Obviously, we've been looking at the impacts and where it's moving and the warnings uh, as a great focus on this program. But, um, yeah, interesting point, probably something we should be asking more about as uh, the firefight goes on. And there is a text here saying, can you please let us uh, in the area, know the area of the current bushfire, give us the latest weather? Uh, from the bomb particularly wind directions with those firefighters on the way to help our fireys hopefully on the country hour when we uh tune in for the weather report well yes anonymous texter i will try and do that right now uh stephanie miles is a senior forecaster at the bureau of meteorology and can join you to give you the weather update hi stephanie how are you going warwick a lot of focus on tomorrow before we get there let's do the quick pricey of today how's it looking
9: yeah, no worries. I mean, I really like the sun and the warm temperatures. So for me at the moment, it looks like around the state. It's an absolutely glorious day. Most of our clouds disappeared. There's a lot of sunshine around. Our winds are quite light and our temperatures are around the, you know, mid to high 20s, even to low 30s in some spots. So look, I think it looks like a really nice calm day across the state, Warwick.
1: When does it change? What are we looking at tomorrow?
9: Yeah, sure. Okay, so for tomorrow, I'm really hopeful that everyone that's listening already is aware that we do have those extreme to cap- fire dangers tomorrow. And the CFA, CFA has declared a f- total fire ban for those western and central districts. So that's mainly because we do have a really hot, windy and dry day. That said though, it could feel relatively calm around the state in the morning hours. We do have some really strong northwesterly winds kind of in the higher atmosphere but it might not be until perhaps the later in the Morning period, even early afternoon period, but a couple of the cloud that's around might start to thin, and we'll get some of those winds starting to mix to the surface. So feeling a little bit blowy, perhaps around our elevated peaks at first, but then more so in the late morning into the afternoon period, it might feel a little bit more unsettled with that wind around. We are expecting a couple of thunderstorms as well in that southwest and western parts of the state uh, at first, and then also in our south and west Gippsland areas as well. Not much rainfall with that one, uh, but that's in our northwesterly winds, and this is all ahead of that south to more so westerly change that we're expecting work across the state tomorrow. So, look, it's not expected to be in our southwestern parts until probably around 1 to 2 p.m. And then if you kind of draw a line from perhaps the Mallee down to the surf coast, it's kind of traversing quite slowly across the east, sorry, Eastwards across the state, and will be in that area around 8pm. Perhaps the Melbourne Metro area around 9 to 10pm, and then maybe around Shepparton down to Sale, around that midnight timing. But like I said, the change isn't a true southwesterly, so there might not be a super amount of um, cooler relief to many people experiencing that change from those really warm temperatures tomorrow that we're expecting. So, you know, anywhere between the high 30s to even the early 40s is what we've got to tomorrow. But those temperatures overnight really only dropping into maybe even the high or sorry low 20s. Overnight, as that cooler change comes through, Warwick.
1: So it starts out hot, uh, the winds will pick up during the day and then the wind direction is going to start to change around midday until it sort of peters out a little bit towards midnight for a lot of those concerning areas for fires. Is that, is that the, the simplified version, if you will, Stephanie?
9: That is absolutely spot on, Warwick. Thank you that we're expecting that change to kind of hit through uh you know the grampians and also where that fire is at the moment out near bay and dean perhaps in those later hours of the evening as well so yeah look most of the state i'm sure is very keen to see when that change will come through but it might not be uh really experienced until later afternoon early evening for a lot of people
1: yep so in terms then i suppose of of the fire really tomorrow is the concerning day but by midday things should be looking better Midnight, sorry, not midday. Midnight. I should be very clear there, Stephanie.
9: Because <laughs> you had me a bit worried
4: there. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh,
9: yes, absolutely. So the change coming through later in the evening, then overnight, they should get a little bit a different uh, wind change. But look. From Thursday onwards, that change is still kind of making its way through the middle and eastern parts of our state, so perhaps outside of the very far eastern parts by about the middle of Thursday. So those people in the east could still be experiencing some warm temperatures and a bit of wind uh, and perhaps some thunderstorms into the early hours of Thursday morning. But by then, after that, hopefully the state, you know, experiences a lot more calmer conditions. We've got more of those west-southwesterly winds coming in, our temperatures on Thursday, a lot more settled around the, you high 20s to early 30s but a mostly cloudy and partly day perhaps a couple of showers in the southwest and that kind of continues through to Friday as well and then perhaps even on the weekend we get some cooler temperatures with a bit more of a southerly wind coming through so look where it's really like you said tomorrow that everyone's got their eyes on but then hopefully by early Thursday mid-afternoon Thursday we'll have most of the state experiencing much different conditions to what we've got tomorrow.
1: And then out further on the forecast any chance of rain or any other scary fire days uh, looking further beyond?
9: At the moment, unfortunately, don't have any records of rain, to be honest. It uh, looks like perhaps there could be a couple of showers, like we said, those Thursday, Friday, Saturday mornings, but it's mainly in the south, and it's only really one to two millimetres, unfortunately. At this stage, I mean, the temperatures are still warm. We are in summer, of course, so, you know, of course, we're going to be at warm temperatures, but in terms of any fires at the moment, or if nothing on the horizon in the short to long term.
1: Only in summer for two more days, Stephanie. Two more days. That's it.
9: I'm <laughs> wishful thinking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for the update, though. Really good information on the wind. That's uh, really important. Thanks for joining us.
9: Thanks so much, for Working
1: Drew. Afternoon. Yeah, Stephanie Miles, Senior Forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology, taking you through the forecast there, what it's doing, uh, what you're expecting tomorrow, as you heard from fire authorities and then the Bureau. Tomorrow morning, not so bad. It will start off hot. Then the winds start to pick up through the day and then wind changes really from midday on uh, is where there are some big concerns around that fire weather, particularly around that big fire. And there is that map online. You can go find it on uh, the Emergency uh, Victoria uh, app or on ABC online or on any of the ABC local Facebook pages. It gives you a warning. In that area, you will probably receive a text message if you're in that area warning you that you should probably evacuate that area. Uh, Also, for the rest of the day, though, and those areas of north and west uh, Victoria that are under fire ban, you will uh, be able to... uh, You are warned that those weather changes are going to come, and it really is from, from midday to midnight tomorrow that it will be at its worst. So stay safe wherever you are. It is 17... To one here on the country out. Let's keep moving and talk about a few other things right now. Let's hear about uh, the increase in almond plantings in the Lower Murray and what that means for the av- water availability in Australia's longest river system, the Murray-Darling Basin. Well, the head of one of the organisations uh, that is competing with almonds for water, uh, Sunrise. Uh, the Sunrise Chairman and Mulamine Rice Grower and former Water Commissioner Laurie Arthur says industries like the rice industry is going to struggle to survive if the Federal Government and the Murray-Darling Basin Authority don't step in and regulate permanent plantings on things like almonds. Here he is talking with Elsie Kennedy.
8: But our rivers are the most ephemeral, or, or to put it another way, uh, the most inconsistent rivers as far as river flows in the world means that you know, there's, in my belief, there's only a certain amount of permanent plannings that our system can can handle. There just seems to be a real lack of desire by government at state and federal level, you know, to really address that problem. And I think the next sequence of drought, there'll be some significant issues for the ability to supply the permanent plannings that are in place now. When we go to a drought sequence and temporary water prices go to $1,000, all of a sudden, that puts a real strain on our annual plannings. So and what I'm talking about, there are crops like tomatoes and rice and dairies almost, pasture for dairy, etc. And the concern is that then the difficulty for those industries to remain viable when they're faced with those short, sharp shocks.
10: How would you like to see those issues addressed? What do you think would help in the situation?
8: I think recognising that there is... You know, geographically, an optimum amount of permanent plantings in the system that we can support well, uh, and not exceeding that. And I think governments tend to feel that um, that's something they shouldn't have a place in. But I think, for example, we have a market in water. You know, potentially there could be a market in um, in a horticultural market, sort of uh, having a market for the amount of horticultural land that can be used that's actually tradable, rather than just say, we'll continue adding, we'll create new water products and we'll add more permanent plantings into areas where potentially we're going to have difficulty supplying them.
10: The Murray-Darling Basin Authority has quite a clear picture of the area of land that is planted to permanent plantings. They are doing regular mapping together with a group called Sunrise Mapping, um, which is based in Mildura. Do you think the MDBA could have more of a role in this situation? And if so, what would that role be, do you think?
8: I believe they they absolutely must. I know the the federal government had proposed to reintroduce the National Water Commission to look at, but I'm not sure where that's at. But I think, you know, sort of we need to monitor it and it's been monitored and I think there are red flags there to say that we've exceeded it and... So, you know, when we get to minimal river flows, particularly where some of the plantings are happening, you know, which is in the lower part of the system, uh, is very problematic. And I've had discussions with the MDBA about some of these issues. And, you know, we have a chat, but um, it just seems to be that it's not high priorities. And what I think that's probably one of the biggest problems you're going to have in the system is our ability to supply an ever-expanding um, permanent plantings in, in, in the southern connected system.
10: For an industry like rice, some people might say it is an annual crop. if If you were in a drought, you could probably you know just not plant it that year or you know come back next year if it's a wetter year. Why is doing that an issue for an annual crop like like rice or a grower who's got a business running on that industry? Yeah, you
8: know, I think the issue is uh, for a lot of industries, not just rice is you know when you've got a lot of facilities and you've got manufacturing facilities, mills, et cetera that to go from, you know, a supply base of... In, in uh, our rice industry's case, uh, we were down for two consecutive years around forty and 50,000 tonnes of production, uh, putting that through the mill, where our mills are designed to do 800,000 tonnes. It's the employment in, in the bush uh, in these manufacturing facilities that I believe are, you know, at risk.
10: And so what are your projections as a company... You know, imagining that there is a couple of years of drought, for example, and the price of water does go up. How does a company like Sunrise plan for that or handle it?
8: Well, in the past, what's happened is we've actually, you know, put basically mothball one of our facilities or a couple of our facilities. And so, and then I suppose what, you know, what you've got to really look at, it's very difficult for a town like, you know, in in that one case, we we did that in Deniliquan, and you know, we'll often up employ up to hundred, over 100 people in Deniliquin and when we've got to put all those people off. You know, it's not good for the town and it's not good for the employees.
10: Some people might say maybe Australia shouldn't be growing rice. Maybe we can just buy it from elsewhere in the world where there is more water or it's cheaper to produce. What would you say to those people?
8: So we believe that, you know, for, for um, sovereign capability, it's very important to have a range of industries Our agricultural depends on shipping and we've seen a lot of disruptions disruptions in shipping. So I would argue that it's very important for us to have, you know, rice is an important commodity and to have a a stable production out of Australia is really important to to Australian consumers and to the Australian economy.
10: That was Sunrise Chairman Moolamian Rice Grower and former Water Commissioner Laurie Arthur speaking there. Federal Water Minister Tanya Plibersek referred a request for comment to the Department of Climate Change, Energy, the Environment and Water. A department spokesperson said in a statement that states and territories are responsible for managing water resources sustainably. But the department did confirm that the Australian government is developing a new national water initiative in collaboration with states and territories. That's expected to be developed in this term of the federal government. So that means before mid-2025. Federal Water Minister Tanya Plibersek has asked the Department to consider options for a potential model for a National Water Commission. The Murray-Darling Basin Authority was also contacted for comment.
1: That report there from Elsie Kennedy. And the Murray-Darling Basin Authority did chuck in an extra comment saying, and I quote, decisions around land planning and agricultural land use in the Lower Murray are matters for Agriculture Victoria and the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. End quote. Uh, It is 10 to 1 here on the Country Hour. Let's talk emissions right now. It's been a big part of the debate at the VFF Grains Conference, which has been going on this week. As the focus on emissions from farms intensifies, how should farmers be planning for the future and what rules mean for them? And what sustainability assurances are customers going to demand from farmers? Consultant Robert Poole, a partner at CVA Australia, addressed those questions at the VFF Grains Conference, saying farmers need to prepare for increased scrutiny.
2: I suppose my message was that the, the industry and individuals like start prepping for that. I think that that's logical. New, the New Zealand industry, agricultural industry is already going to full reporting. Um, There'll be parts of the Australian sector that the customers and we'll we'll start asking for that as well. So I don't want people to, you know, panic about how soon that has to be done. In fact, I said we've got time. We need to do the R&D that's in behind, uh, you know, transport fuels and soils and there's a lot of work to be done. So start planning, have a really logical, well-planned sector plan And, uh, you know, start the work towards what is an inevitable change of the entire economy, not just agriculture, but all the parts of the economy, energy, construction,
7: waste management, etc. There is a lot of focus on emissions calculators and there are a few different products on the market. You had some interesting thoughts on those?
2: Yeah, they no, they're to, they're totally fine, and I, I think you know I come out of the dairy sector as well, and we, we've been working on nutrient calculators and and, and so that ma- mass balance approach to you know farm nutrient management and now farm emissions that that's a solid that's a solid approach. We need to have that, but I guess my message is is reporting is one thing, but actually the way the whole system works, the way we participate in what people call the carbon economy. I actually don't think we've got that right yet. I think that needs a lot of rethinking, because certain parts of it, like ACUs, I'm not sure how well they apply to agriculture. So I'm kind of my hypothesis is we do need to perhaps rethink how agriculture works in uh, with you know the emissions market, the carbon market, etc.
7: And you also spoke about um, baselines and, and recognition of, of farmers already doing best practice in, in reducing emissions and sequestering carbon?
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah so, so that was a sort of a case in point, I guess, that in certain soils, farmers already have really high organic carbon um, I've been well-schooled in this by by, by um, you know, certain mentors of mine. So they're not going to necessarily be able to participate easily in carbon credits because their soils are already at high organic carbon, high organic matter and high carbon content. So we just need to think about how to reward everyone who's done all the work already, where they've got a very sustainable system already, whether that's in soil carbon or river management or animal welfare and... Yeah, I'm just not sure about thinking it purely as a emissions calculators and carbon credits is the right model. I think there's something
7: probably a better way to do it. Biofuels. You spoke about them, and you think that's going to be a huge growth market in Australia?
2: Yeah, I was talking about going to some some of the global conferences that I get to attend, and you know the big companies like Maersk, the shipping company, and obviously the Australian, you know, the airlines and the rail. One of the farmers asked about rail freight. Now, All of the, those transport sectors very integrated into the grains industry, so you know, I think it's a huge issue for the grains industry. And of course, if they are going to move to biofuels, someone's got to grow the raw materials for that. That's not going to come out of waste oils and stuff, that has to come out of agriculture. So it's a huge, I think it's going to be a massive part of the grains industry. We need to do it in a way where it doesn't affect grains available for the, for the food supply chain. So it's going to be about new farm systems productivity and maybe particularly northern Australia. You know, We've we're probably got more stable or mature supply chains down here, but having worked up in northern Australia, I think there's some really exciting
7: opportunities up there. Andrew Wiedemann also spoke this morning and his advice around uh, things like carbon credits and entering deals to, to reduce your, your emissions or, or on behalf of others, for example, his advice was don't sign anything at this stage. What would you say about that? Um, yeah, I'm not sure about that. But, you know, I
2: think um, some of the reviews I've done in this space, you know, people forget it is going to impact things like contracts and legal agreements and what product you essentially supply and can sign to uh, whoever you're selling to so one of the things farmers will need to do is kind of understand what they're doing you know in some cases even get you know that it will it could affect legal advice for example so carbon credits are a classic example of that in terms of if, if someone wants to buy them off you and that kind of thing what actually are your legal rights what are your legal risks so it's a new form of business it hasn't really formed up yet so Andrew's probably right just get good advice
1: before you do anything in this space. That is Robert Paul, partner at CVA Australia, speaking there with Angus Verley. You're listening to The Country Hour. It's almost the end of the program. It can mean only one thing. Uh, We've got a couple of markets coming up for you today. Let's start at Ballarat Sheep and Lambs with Shiona Lamb.
11: Good afternoon. Lame numbers increased to 27,000. Quality improved over the trade weights and heavy exports, presenting in excellent condition with more weight offered this week. The quality fell away over the planar secondary types throughout the market. Most of the usual buying group attended and operated in another market with mixed results. Light like store and trade lamb sold to five dollars either side of firm, with the planar secondary types in places selling to the same cents per kilo as the well-finished trade weights. Medium and heavy trade slipped five dollars ahead, and heavy exports sold five to ten cheaper. Lambs back to the paddock sold $21 to $118. Lambs to feed on made $99 to $146 a head. Light trade weights under 18 kilos sold $80 to $121. Young lambs in wool, 18 to 24 kilos sold $114 to $145 a head with an average range of $5.60 to $6.20. Sean lambs 18 to 24 kilos sold $114 to $158. 24 to 26 kilo lambs sold one fifty $150 to $186 a head. One agent still to sell
12: lambs at $9,000. And cheap to be sold. This is Shiona Lamb at Ballarat for MLA.
1: Thanks, Shiona. Let's go to Wodonga Cattle and Leanne Dax.
12: Good afternoon. Buyers were very active at Wodonga across all categories in a larger offering of 1990. The overall quality was very good, catering well to both lot feeders and processors. Competition for export cattle was fierce. Resulting in a notable uptick in prices for heavy steers and bullocks, with the increases ranging from 10 to 14 cents. Prices ranged between 260 to 306. Heavy heifers also saw a significant spike, climbing 30 cents and topping at 292. Feeder cattle saw increased interest this week, translating into a price surge of 20 to 40 cents, with medium weight steers experiencing the most substantial price gains. Medium weight feeder steers fetched 264 to 350, while the heifer Portion 240 to 316. Trade cattle were also in strong demand, especially those displaying good shape and finish. They sold at 280 to 350. The top tier veal was particularly sought after, fetching prices from 340 to 396. I'm Leanne Jax for MLA.
1: Thanks, Leanne. Let's go to Shepherd and Cattle and Nicole Varley.
13: Good afternoon. Well, the numbers were similar to last week's sale, however, the competition was heightened. There were 780 exports of that; 280 were cows, and there was 420 trade cattle penned. Price increases were seen across various grades of stock, of anywhere between 10 to 60 cents a kilo. Not all the usual buyers attended, however, that failed to put a hold on any of the price lifts. The cow market also made gains, although not a significant as the grown steers bullocks or heifers but the price turnaround was quite astonishing the young cattle improved in quality this week with a lot more processor available types and competition was stronger across the board with more cattle going to the processors this week than the feed the veal made from 313 to 390 cents Yearling steers were anywhere from 25 to 60 cents steerer and they made from 299 to a top of four dollars averaging around 327 Yearling heifers 257 to $3. Three forty, averaging around three eighteen. They were twenty to thirty cents dearer. This is Nicole Varley from Shepparton.
1: Thanks very much for that, Nicole. That's about it for the Country Hour today. Uh, remember, if you want to send us anything, you can always uh, email us outside of the show: Country Hour at abc.net.au. Country Hour at abc.net.au. If you want to listen back to the program. You can uh, get it wherever you get your podcasts or in the ABC Listen app. And if you're listening live in the ABC Listen app, you can always use that button to call or text us during the show in the app. Otherwise, just search Victorian Country Hour either in the app or where you get your podcasts, and you'll never miss a show. You can always catch up then too. Hope you have a great and safe afternoon. We'll be back with you tomorrow at the same bat time. Catch you then.